Well, good morning. Really good to be with you again. It's always a, a pleasure to be with you. And for those of you who don't know me, or and those of you who do, uh, Jeremy Martinez, I'm from Horizon, out in Saskatoon. But uh, we're we're a college that you, you support as a church, for which we are very grateful. So when we said, "What are we thankful for this morning?" I was thankful for you and your partnership with us as we as we try to prepare Christian leaders to advance God's kingdom. And uh, with that, I'll give you a quick, a quick plug. Uh, out in the foyer, I do have some brochures and things. So one of the distinctives of our institution is that you don't have to come to us. We'll come alongside you. We're doing this even before COVID, uh, and we're doing it even better after COVID. So I guess COVID maybe was good for, for something, but, uh, but don't throw stones. Uh, anyway, it was... Uh, but, but yeah, we, we, can, uh, we can do all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of learning alongside you and all kinds of teaching alongside you, both at the undergraduate level and at the master's level. Uh, and so at the undergrad level, one of the things that really distinguish us is that we partner with other institutions like polytechnics. So we give accredited degrees in everything from media ministry or media studies to healthcare professionals, mental health uh, you can combine a diploma or a certificate from a, a polytechnic or a business school in with, our, in with our training, and you come out with a degree and a certificate or diploma. So it's a pretty good, a pretty good mix. I invite you to check that out, and so there's a little brochure with, with that, and then some other brochures on, uh, on the table as well. And then the seminary as well. We work with all kinds of people from all walks of life and all ages working on a master's degree in anything from a Master of Divinity, a Master of Biblical Theological Studies, Master of Christian Leadership, or a Master of Clinical and Pastoral Counseling. Uh, and so invite you to check that out. Happy to chat with you afterwards. Uh, but that's, that's it for, for the little commercial bit. Uh, but, but do please come and see me. Come see me in the foyer afterwards. All right, so Mark. So Pastor Michael says, yeah, you can come preach, and you can do Mark 13. And... Uh, Mark 13. This is this is one of those uh, one of those tricky passages, as 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 Pastor Michael said. I don't know if he arranged for this to be when uh, when someone else came to to deal with that, but uh, but I don't mind. I don't mind. Um, it's it's tricky though. It's this stuff, and we start talking about Jesus talks about the end times, or is he? which is one of the debates that we get here when we start to study these, these passages. Uh, but I want to start with a question for you. Uh, now, I just had a significant milestone birthday. I won't tell you which, but I'm not 40. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so you start to look back at your life. You start saying, you know, I'm getting to that point where I got fewer years ahead of me than I had behind me. And so you question you know, what, am I satisfied with, uh, with everything in my life? Do I have any regrets? And so my question for you is, I just think about wherever you're at in life, look back, what's, what's one of your biggest regrets? I could have, you, anyone want to share? I, that's risky, but uh, I didn't really expect you to. But anyway, uh, think about your your. Yeah, some of your regrets you have. Now, Daniel Pink is, uh, is an author. I like to read his stuff. Uh, not, a, not a Christian author, so far as I know, but he just recently wrote a book in 2022 called The Power of Regret. 
And he did a, he's a social scientist, and uh, he, he researches these things. But one of the things in his research that he, that he discovered is that in surveying multiple people, regrets of inaction outnumber regrets of action two to one. In other words, people reach a point in their life when they look back, they don't regret having done something nearly as often as they regret having not done something. They regret not taking that chance. They regret not spending more time with their family. They regret not trying out for that job, not speaking up when they could have. They, they, all of these regrets, mostly, by a ratio of two to one, uh, people, people regret their inaction. And I want to bring that to bear on this passage this morning. Because a lot of this passage, Mark chapter 13, Jesus is, is talking about uh, the end of the world. And, and this is a passage because of the topic that has led people either to avoid it, like Pastor Michael's doing, <laughs> or, or to obsess about it. You seem to have these two extremes, avoidance or obsession. And so what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to find a way that we could come at this passage and say, okay, but, but what is it that is going to instruct us about life for today? That's not going to lie, lead us either to, to avoid it nor to obsess about it. We want to think about, uh, we don't want to look back with, with regrets. We want to focus on right now. What is the world right now? Now, if you're from that same milestone birthday era as me, you might appreciate uh, the prophet Ferris Bueller. And Ferris, Ferris says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. So in the, in the wisdom, the prophetic advice of, of Ferris Bueller, we don't want to come to the end and have missed some opportunities for us right now. And that's the way that we want to approach Mark chapter 13. Now, before we get there, because I'm going to focus on now more than I'm going to focus on the not yet, uh, I also, in, my other, in another hat that I wear, I also serve on the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada Theological Study Commission. And we have just uh, refreshed our statement of faith, and I was part of that committee that was working on that for the past eight years. Well, it was not, it now nine years uh, coming on. It took a long time to get that changed, but we have a refreshed statement. So I thought I would just share with you what, and this church is part of the Pentecost Assemblies of Canada, I thought I would just share with you what, what that statement is when it comes to the last things. It's what the section we call restoration. So I'm just going to give you this so you can think about it, and then we're going to come back to now. But the, the POC statement is, our great hope is for the imminent return of Christ in the air to receive his own. In other words, he's coming at any time, which is going to be really relevant for us today. Both the living who will be transformed and the dead in Christ who will be resurrected bodily. Christ will complete at his second coming the restoration begun when he initiated at his second, or the initiated God's kingdom at his first coming. So Jesus came and proclaimed the kingdom of God is here, but it wasn't completely here. There was still stuff to work out. So at his second coming, he will complete that, that process that he started. Christ will liberate creation from the curse. 
fulfill God's covenant to Israel and defeat all powers that oppose God. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ultimately, God will judge the living and the dead. Such judgment is God's gracious answer to humanity's cry for justice to prevail throughout the earth and is consistent with God's character as loving, holy, and just. The unredeemed will go away into eternal punishment, but the redeemed into eternal life. And the redeemed will enjoy the presence of God where there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And the statement of essential truths and this, this section of it ends with the prayer, Amen, come, Lord Jesus, which is the final part of the book of Revelation as well. All right, so that's, that's what supposedly this church believes. That's what our fellowship believes and uh, when we come to thinking about the end times, so you, maybe I'll come back another time and we can unpack that in, in greater detail. But I wanted to give you that as part of this discussion on Mark 13, which is dealing with Jesus talking about the end. And as I say, or is it? And why I say, or is it, is because this is one of those passages that as you start to dig in and you read different commentators and different scholars on it, they have a diversity of opinions. Now, the passage starts out with Jesus and his disciples are coming into Jerusalem, and the disciples say, wow, look at the temple. Isn't that a magnificent building? It is fantastic. And, and Jesus says, I tell you what, this temple's going to be raised, with a Z, not I-S. It's, it's going to be destroyed. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. Uh, which, is a, which is an incredible thing for Jesus to say. Now, when we think of a temple, we might have the mistaken idea that it's kind of like this building here, kind of like church. But in Jesus' day, uh, the temple was nothing like church. The temple was the very physical manifest presence of God on the earth. This is where heaven and earth meet. And God himself is almost materially present here in the temple. So for Jesus to say this temple is going to be destroyed was, a, was an incredible statement. This, this wasn't just about a building, and we'll build another one next week. This is, about, this is where God has promised to put his presence upon the earth. It, it localized. And the temple uh, is going to come up again in the next chapter, in chapter 14, when Jesus is being accused and about to go up onto the cross, and his accusers are going to say, this man claimed that uh, he would destroy the temple in three days, raise it again. And that's where Jesus is talking not about that temple, but about his body. And the reason that Jesus is saying that about his body is because his body, like that temple, also had the very manifest presence of God in it. And then the temple is going to show up again in the next chapter after Jesus is crucified and dies. And at the moment of Jesus' death, two significant things happen in the Gospel of Mark. The curtain in the temple gets ripped, and the curtain is that inner, inner, inner place right where the presence of God is meant to dwell, that gets ripped, and the next thing that happens is that the centurion 
who is standing next to Jesus at the cross, makes this declaration, surely this man was the Son of God. And as you've been going through Mark, you've probably noticed that nobody really understands who Jesus really is. They just don't get it. But here at the very end, at his death, where the curtain is, is ripped, there is this centurion making this declaration, this recognition that, G, that Jesus is the Son of God. Here is the presence of God. So the temple being destroyed on the scale of big deals to not big deals is a really, really, really big deal. It changes the entire history of Judaism. Because Judaism was all about, you, you sacrificed at the te temple, you went to the temple. The book of Acts starts, you had, you had Pentecost Sunday last, last Sunday, the book of Acts starts out with all these people coming from all these different regions to Jerusalem. They're coming to the temple. So for the temple to be destroyed, uh, it messes everything up. And the temple is going to be destroyed. A few years after Jesus makes this comment, in, in the year 70, the Jews are going to try to revolt against Rome, and they're going to fail, and Rome is going to come in and destroy their temple. And to this day, the temple remains destroyed. And that really messes up the Jewish practice of worshiping God, because now they have nowhere to sacrifice. Synagogues are not many temples. It also is what catapults this new form of Judaism, of little Christ followers. Because here, all of a sudden, the manifest presence of God is now in each person. The Gospel of Luke really unpacks this for us, because it starts out with the temple, and then Jesus goes away from the temple, and then at Luke 9.51, he sets his face for Jerusalem, and everything from 9.51 to the end of the Gospel of Luke is leading into Jerusalem. And then the book of Acts picks up from Jerusalem, and, and we have the, the same thing with the temple and the curtain. And, and then the book of Acts picks up, and it goes out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, because now the manifest presence of God is no longer in that geographical location, but it goes wherever those who confess the name of Jesus go. It is, it's a radical change. Like, it's a really, really, really big deal. So when Jesus says this, this is, this is what's going on. So this is why, in a long-winded way, coming back to this, is why when you come to, come to this passage, there are, some, there are some people who read this and have read it throughout history as being all about Jesus' second coming and what's going to happen when he comes back. There are others, uh, more on another extreme end, who say, well, really, everything Jesus says here is about the destruction of the temple in 70. So someone like N.T. Wright, who, who I like but I'm going to disagree with here, uh, for him, everything Jesus says in Mark 13 is only about the destruction of, of Jerusalem. Or just, not Jerusalem, just the temple. Uh, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. For him, this whole passage is only speaking about that. Uh, for others, it's only speaking about the future. And for more, it's a bit of both. And, and, I, and I'm going to be, I'm going to go with the majority. So, it's a bit of both. And, uh, but what I want us to focus on this morning is, is not so much a focus on the end, but I want to focus on right now. 
coming at this a bit sideways, because Jesus in Mark 13 gives a number of instructions. He gives a number of imperatives, a number of commands. And it's those commands that interest me. And it's the commands, because it's the commands that instruct us how to behave now. We don't want to come to the end anticipating about what's coming and having missed out on what we're to be doing right now. So there are a number of these imperatives, and we're going to look at this as calls to action. So there's, there's three actions, three action words, three verbs, three imperatives that we're going to look at in these different sections. The first one is the command to watch out. The second one is the command to learn, or to learn and know, as we'll see. And the third one is to, is to stay alert. They're all quite closely linked. But we're going to walk through the passage, and instead of focusing on, well, how are we going to anticipate the end, we want to say, how are we going to practice right now what Jesus is saying? So you okay with that? That's good, because that's what you're getting. So, the first, the first is to watch out. Lepeta. This is the, this is the imperative form of the Greek word. To see to behold, to be on guard, and you'll see it very, depending on your translation, whatever you're using, you might have some of these different words um, translated slightly differently, but it's, in Greek it's all the same words. And so we have this show up three times in this first passage, and then this word's going to show up again at the end, near the end, um, we'll remember it, that's why that last one's in parentheses. So watch out, um, let's start here in verse 5. So... Jesus tells the disciples when he says, they ask him, okay, well, when is this destruction going to happen? He says, watch out, Lepeta. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he and will deceive many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Now, I'm also highlighting any of the other imperatives, the command words that show up in these passages. So that one's in green. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. I want to just note a few things about this passage. First, I want you to notice that the command within the passage telling us how to watch out is do not be alarmed. The command that Jesus says is do not be alarmed. Now, sometimes when we get really obsessive about when is Jesus coming, what's the second coming, we get a bit alarmed. All right, we look at what's going on in the world around us and we say, oh, it's going to hell in a handbasket. And we get anxious. We get the opposite of not being alarmed. The command is do not be alarmed. That's the command. That's, that's our disposition as we're waiting for whatever's going to happen to happen. Um, now, a good portion of scholars are going to say this is really only about the destruction of the temple coming up in 70. But regardless, regardless if it's about that or if it's about the second coming, in either case, Jesus is saying in the event of this calamity that's coming, 
this is how you're to wait. So it doesn't, in a sense, what I'm trying to get us to do is say it doesn't really matter what it's about because this is how we are to behave in such a situation as that. And the way we are to behave is, is not, to be, not to be alarmed. Now, I also want you to notice, as we, as we think about things coming and, and trying to anticipate, um, there will be wars and rumors of wars, um, earthquakes in various places and famines. Now, I'm going to give you a clue as to when this stuff is going to happen. There has never been a time in history, including the time that Jesus uttered this, that there were not wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, and famines. There were multiple wars and rumors of wars going on when Jesus uttered those words. The Romans were aggressively expanding their empire. The Jewish historian Josephus talks about the Jewish wars that were happening. The zealots were getting excited and agitated, and they were about to march on Rome unsuccessfully, hence leading to the destruction of the temple. Uh, so keep that in mind, that there has never been a point in history when any of these things have not happened. And what Jesus says is that when they happen, that isn't the signal that I'm about to pop down from the sky. He says, these are the beginning of birth pangs. So even there, it's not a clue as to when he's going to show up again. The other thing we want to see about this is that what Jesus' command here is to watch out that no one deceives you. Because people are going to come claiming to be me. Now, throughout history, there have also been all kinds of people claiming to be a spiritual authority for God. There were other Messiah claimants in Jesus' day, both before Jesus' crucifixion and after, coming out of, out of Judaism. But, but to this day, there are all kinds of alternative Christs. In the book of Galatians, uh, the Apostle Paul gets really angry with the Galatians and tells them, listen, if you start listening to a twisted version of what we're teaching you, may you be cursed. There's always opportunities for a twisted version of Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying here is to, to be on guard, to really know the real truth about who Jesus is. Now, here is a recent stat put out, just came out this uh, less than a year ago by, by Barna and World Vision. And it's interesting because it's a global, a global census on what the people actually believe about Jesus. So when we think about different Christs, and we, what's, in, what's helpful about it for us Canadians is that they can parse out the Canadian data from the global data. And they also separate out what Christians, self-identified Christians say they believe compared to just the general population. So that's, that's an helpful ways of categorizing. What's alarming is that in the Christian category, those who say, I believe in Jesus, only 38% of people who believe in Jesus who say that they are, say they are Christians, only 38% are also saying, well, Jesus is God. 38% of Christians are saying that. 
24% of the general population of Canada says that, and only a little bit higher percentage of Christians say that. That's significant. So when Jesus says, make sure no one deceives you about who I am, I think, church, we have some work to do in letting people in our own congregations know who Jesus is. Watch out. Let no one deceive you. Let's, let's get clear on Jesus' identity. All right, so that's, that's the first watch out. The second watch out that comes here, starting in verse 9, you must be on your guard. Watch out. Same word. It gets translated differently. You must be on your guard. You must watch out. must see. Lapeta, same word. Uh, you will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, now here is another command word, and it's really similar to the last command word. Do not worry. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say what's given at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death. Father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now what I want you to get out of this time together when we look at this, because Jesus is talking about the end, or is he talking about now? There's nothing that Jesus says in any of these passages, nothing that he commands here that he doesn't say elsewhere, and that the New Testament doesn't say elsewhere. Jesus already says, when, his, when he's teaching in a house, and some people come to him, and they say, hey, your mother and brothers are outside. Jesus responds with, my mother and brothers are those who do the will of God. And Jesus says, so he redefines the concept of, of family. He redefines it around those who commit themselves to him and to what he represents from his father. Jesus says, I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword that will divide family. Now, this makes sense, because what Jesus does, he comes here and he says, comes to his people, the, the Jews who believe there is only one God, and all these followers of Jesus who keep showing up at synagogue are now saying, yeah, I believe in one God and I believe in Jesus. And unsurprisingly, that doesn't go over too well. And father and child and husband and wife and mother and daughter and brothers and children and parents divide against each other. Well, that makes sense. Jesus says if you're going to come and do this radically new thing, it's going to cause division. Right now, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Do you believe that in Iran, brother will betray brother to death, father, child, for those who come to confess Jesus in Iran? 
This is happening. I think it's the second biggest church is in the underground church in China. This is going on. This has been going on all along. This is, when we talk about what's coming our way and the challenges coming our way, the challenges are already being faced by far more Christians than us. This is just everyday life following Jesus in many parts of the world right now. Be on your guard. Be faithful in trial. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Don't be anxious. Give a word. The Apostle Paul has a whole section of his letters that are called the prison epistles, where Paul says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He spent a good chunk of his ministry in jail. We read in Philippians how he talks about through his opportunity in jail, I am witnessing, bearing witness to Jesus, to the whole guard. The book of Acts has him standing in front of rulers, bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. I just need to put this out here. This isn't This isn't necessarily a precursor to the second coming. We've just had it really easy in the West. And if it happens to get less easy, that's not going to be radically different from how it was when Jesus initially spoke and how it is for more Christians in the world than we have Christians in North America. That's part of the message that Jesus has. So we want to be faithful in our trial. And then the third watch out here comes in verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it and literally where he does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And then these commands, don't go down and enter the house and get anything. If you're in the field, don't go back and get your cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those, uh, because, because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he shortened them. At, the same, at that time... If anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear to perform signs, wonders, and deceive even if possible the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. All right, so I will say about this passage that um, this is one in particular where where. I think of my, our friend N.T. Wright, and I think, okay, really, Tom? I call him Tom as if, as if we're buddies. But uh, I met him twice, but I'm pretty sure it was more memorable for me than, than for him. But, but I think, okay, now, the abomination that caused desolation, this goes into Daniel, and we, we, we read about this in, if you have a Catholic Bible, you can read about this in Maccabees. 
And uh, this is when Antiochus Epiphanes IV set up a statue of Zeus in the temple when it was a great sacrilege. And so everybody hearing this in Jesus' day recognizes that. But when I look at this and I look at the, the level of devastation, distress that Jesus is talking about, personally, I have a hard time lumping all that onto the fall of Jerusalem in 70. I think, you know, I mean, that was a bad thing that happened to the temple, but in terms of the people, they didn't have it worse before then, and they haven't had it worse since then. And after this time, the Christians are about to have it worse. They're about to have three centuries of really bad persecution that comes up after this. So I'm letting my bias out here. I think this one might be pointing a little bit more forward than just the destruction of, of the temple. Um, but I also know that how this kind of literature works, it's, a, it's, called, it's an apocalyptic literature, and it's really hard to read. It's kind of, it kind of blends together images from different things, and that's what gets really confusing about it, is that two things can mean, or one thing can mean two different things. It can stand for, for more than one thing, and so it gets kind of confusing. So let's say it's about both. But nonetheless, the takeaway here for us, I think, is that even in this, in a time of absolute distress, Jesus is telling people, look, and this will be a little bit pushy for some, but I want us to think about it. He says, to flee, don't fight. To flee, don't, don't fight. And, and to hold on and have faith. Basically, he says, look, this is bigger than you. There's there's a call here to not to stand your ground and, and stand up for your rights, uh, but this is how to respond in this situation. Now, can we pull this back into other situations that we're in? I think so, because I think Jesus gives clear instruction on how to do this elsewhere. So Jesus talks about persecution elsewhere. He tell, in John, the end, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he tells his disciples... Or, 14, 15, 16, and 17, he tells his disciples, look, this world is going to persecute you. If you're going to be my follower, it's going to persecute you, and this is how you combat it, love one another. And in Matthew chapter 5, he says, people are going to persecute you, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Some of this stuff comes into play when we see really bad things. So there's, there's this, this notion. But the other notion that we get this is that really this is beyond not in your control. You do not have control in this situation. What you have is a calling to stand and be faithful. And so the action here is to be faithful, not to be anxious. You don't have control, but God is. Not that God is in control, but God is. We can rest in his absolute supreme authority. All right, so that was the first one. Now, in case you're really worried and looking at lunch, uh, the next two are a lot shorter. So we'll go, we'll go to the next command here, and that is to learn. But in, in these, those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken and at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather the elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth 
and of the heavens. And now here comes our action word, our command. Now learn. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know it's summer, that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happen, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. All right, really quickly, it's sort of an obscure one, but here's, here's the action words here. Jesus says, look, just like you can tell, and he uses a fig tree, we'd probably use something like a canola crop. Uh, you know what the season is. You're well acquainted with it. And he's saying, look, it's that obvious. It's that obvious. Uh, when, when these things are going to happen, it's not going to be obscure. And so you know these things, and then those bolded words, each of them kind of means no. Even the one that says see is also a translation for something that can also be translated as no. Uh, so so know, know that it's near. Not that it's right here. Just know that, know that it's near. And in that sense, when you, with knowing it, you can have a sense of confidence. You don't need to be distressed. So your, your action here is to be confident that you'll know what you need to know when Jesus comes. Luke spells this out in other ways, like a vulture in the sky. You can see it from all around. It's not obscure. You're going to know there's no need to be anxious. And now that leads us to our last one, which is to stay alert. And there's two words here. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. And then we have that same one for the first word we looked at. Be on guard. Be alert. You don't know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door, keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether the evening or at midnight, or then the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him see you sleeping. What I say to everyone is watch. And Jesus' message here, quite simply, is that you're supposed to be found doing what you're supposed to be doing. The takeaway here is that you're not meant to be speculating, but you're meant to be acting faithfully. And so in concluding conclusions, it's parting thoughts, three parting thoughts, is that Mark 13 is a call to action, not to speculation. We're called to act. Mark 13 is, is a call to relieve, not to increase, anxiousness about Christ's return. And our third takeaway here is that Mark 13 is a call to live faithfully, living no matter your circumstances. We are to live faithfully no matter in good times or bad times, whether that's looking at a far away at the end or Jesus' immediate circumstance. These are instructions that we can take away for now and forever. Thank you so much. God bless you.